Hello, and welcome to episode 33 of the Idiot Book Nook. My name is Blazewing, my pronouns are she, her, and they, them. I am the Reading Dragon, and my pronouns are she, her. I'm Lady Punnett, my pronouns are primarily she, her, sometimes they, them. Today is very much a she, her type of day. We are reading through The Amulet of Samarkand, the first book in the Bartimaeus Trilogy. Uh, we are going to be doing chapter 17 today, but before we do that, I have an announcement. Yes? If you would like to reach us on social media, you can do so by going to linktr.ee slash theidiotbooknook. All of our links are there! You can reach myself. The Reading Dragon, Lady Punnett, our podcast feed, and our website as well. We are so busy. Plus. I finally beat my executive dysfunction in getting around to that. Yay! <clears throat> we are three ADHD adult brains trying to stay on track, as you as can be evidenced by the fact that we are actually starting this uh, episode 45 to 50 minutes late this morning because we were bullshitting around. We were waiting for th very, very important things to happen. Yes. Like my bubble tea arriving. Oh. Wait, is that a reusable... What? They only have reusable cups. What? So they give you the reusable cup. A lot! It's not a, it's not a huge one, but it's a decent size. Deb! Point in case! <laughs> also, and look also at the there size of the cookie they sent! Oh god. And they put a happy face on the bag! Oh my god! They had it! It's Oli Damara! It's a happy face, and look at the size of this cookie! Oli Damara cookie. Oli Damara cookie. For those of you listening to the podcast, if you'd like to see any of this, you're going to have to go check out the Crimson Entertainment YouTube channel, which you'll be able to find in the show notes. You'll get visual representation there going through this episode. Best I got for you. That being said, we are on chapter 17 today. Mm -hmm. 18. Yep, 17. 17. <laughs> Trying to confuse me. Chapter 18 comes later this morning. Uh, are we still on Bartimaeus? Yeah. I believe so. Excellent. So. This is going to work great with my getup today. <laughs> with that being said, narrator, take it away for chapter 17, please. The Bartimaeus Trilogy, Book 1, The Amulet of Samarkand, written by Jonathan Stroud, narrated by the Reading Dragon, Voice acted by the Reading Dragon, Blaze Wing 2010, and Lady Punnett. Chapter 17 Penn's Accountraments was the sort of shop that only the very rich or brave dare enter, occupying an, occupying an advantageous position at the corner of Duke Street and Piccadilly. It gave the impression that a palace of some kind had been dropped there by a gang of knackered gin, and then been soldered on to the drabber buildings alongside. Its illuminated windows and fluted golden pillars stood out among the magician's bookshops, 
and the caviar and pate houses that lined the wide gray boulevard. Even when seen from the air, its aura of refined elegance stood out almost a mile away. I had to be careful when landing. Many of the ledges had been spiked or painted with sticky lime to deter no-good pigeons such as me. <laughs> but I finally settled on the top of a road sign with a good view of pins and proceeded to case the point. Each window was a monument of the pretension and vulgarity to which all magicians secretly aspired. Jeweled staffs rotated on stands. Giant magnifying glasses were trained on sparkling arrays of rings and bracelets. Automated mannequins jerked back and forth wearing swanky Italian suits with diamond pins in the lapels. On the pavement outside, ordinary magicians trudged along in their shabby work attire, gazed longingly at the displays, and went away, dreaming of wealth and fame. There were very few non-magicians to be seen. It wasn't a commoner's part of town. Through one of the windows, I could see a high counter of polished wood at which sat an immensely fat man, dressed all in white. Perched precariously on a stool, he was busy issuing orders to a pile of boxes that wobbled and teetered beside him. A final command was given. The fat man looked away, and the pile of boxes set off uncertainly across the room. A moment later, they were... A moment later, they turned and I glimpsed a small, stumpy foliot laboring beneath them. When he arrived at a set of shelves in one corner of the shop, I extended a particularly long tail, and with a series of deft movements, scooped the boxes one by one from the top of the pile and set them carefully on the shelf. Juliet, a cut-price gin. The fat man I took to be Sholto Pin himself, the owner of the shop. The messenger imp had said he was a magician, and I noticed that he had a gold-rimmed monocle stuffed against one eye. <sighs> no doubt it was this that enabled him to observe his, servant, his servant's true shape, since on the first plane the foliate wore the semblance of a youth to prevent startling non-magical passerby. As humans went, Sholto looked to be a formidable fellow, for all his size. His movements were fluid and powerful, and his eyes were quick and piercing. Now, something told me he would be difficult to fool, so I abandoned my first plan of adopting a human disguise and trying to draw information out of him. The small foliate looked a better bet. I waited patiently for my chance. When lunchtime came, the trickle of well-heeled customers entered pins swelled a little. Let me start that paragraph again. When lunchtime came, the trickle of well-heeled customers entering pins swelled a little. Sholto fawned and scraped. At his command, the foliate scampered to and fro about the shop 
gathering boxes, capes, umbrellas, or any other item that was required. A few sales were made, then the lunch hour drew to a close, and the customers departed. Now, Sholto's thoughts turned to his belly. He gave the foliot a few instructions, put on a thick black overcoat, and left his shop. I watched him hail a cab and be driven off into the traffic. This was good. He was going to be some time. <laughs> and behind him, the foliot had put up a closed sign on the door and had retired to the stool beside the counter, where, in mimicry of Sholto, he puffed himself out importantly. Now was my chance. I changed my guise. Gone was the pigeon. Instead, a humble messenger in, modeled on the one I'd beaten up at Hampstead, came a knocking on Pin's door. The foliot looked up in surprise, gave me a glare, and signaled for me to be gone. I knocked again, only louder. With a cry of exasperation, the foliot hopped off the stool, trotted across the door, and opened it a crack. The shop bell tinkled. We're closed. Ah, message here for Mr. Schulte. He's out. Come back later. I can't wait, Governor. Urgent. When's he due back? In an hour or so. Master's gone for lunch. Where's he gone? He did not furnish me with that information. This Holiot had a haughty superior sort of manner. He evidently considered himself too good to talk to imps such as me. Don't matter. I'll wait. And with a wriggle and a slide, I rounded the door, ducked under his arm, and entered the shop. Cool, this is posh, isn't it? The Foliot hurried after me in a panic. Get out! Get out! Mr. Pin has given me strict instructions not to allow anyone! And I don't know why don't I'm doing it. Don't get so steamed up, me. The Foliot positioned himself between me and the nearest rack of silver pocket watches. I should think not. With one stamp on my foot, I can call up a hola to devour any thief or intruder. Now please leave! All right, all right. My shoulders slumped as I turned for the door. You're too powerful for me, and too highly favored. It's not everyone gets to run a posh place like this. You're right there. The foliot was prickly, but also vain and weak. Bet you don't get any baitings or the red-hot staples either. I certainly do not. I'm a model of efficiency, and the master is very gracious to me. I knew then what sort I was dealing with. He was a collaborator of the worst kind. I wanted to bite him. However, it did give me an angle to work on. Most cool. of us... Oh, oh, there's oh sorry, a thing. go ahead. Most of us enact our duties only under... Sufferance? Because, simply because we are hurt if we do not cooperate. But a few, typically ones in cushy jobs like Sholto's servant, grow to enjoy their 
servant servile servile status and no longer resent their situation often they do not even have to be summoned but are happy to engage in prolonged work for their masters heedless of the pain they suffer from being continually trapped in a physical body the rest of us generally regard them with some hatred and contempt mm-hmm Gore! I said I should think he is gracious and all why because he knows how lucky he is to have your help reckon he can't do without you I bet you're good at lugging heavy stuff around and you can teach high shell and you can reach high shelves with that tail of yours or use it to sweep the floor the foliage drew himself up you cheeky fungus the master values me for, for a great deal more than that. I'll have you know he refers to me, in company mock you, as his assistant. I mind the shop for him while he takes his lunch. I keep the accounts. I help research the items that are offered. I have many contacts. Hold on. The items? I gave a low whistle. You mean to say he lets you handle the merchandise? All this magic stuff, amulets and the like? Never! <laughs> At this, the repellent creature actually simpers. He does indeed! Mr. Pin trusts me implicitly! I love how the term simp is in this. <laughs> I forgot this was in this. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm having way too much fun with this. Fuck! <laughs> is it the footnote right now? Not no, yet. give us a sec, we'll get there. <laughs> Real powerful things are just the bog end of the market. You know, hands of glory, Mueller glasses and such. Of course, powerful things. Items that are most dangerous and rare. The master is to be sure of the powers, you see. And check they aren't forgeries, and he needs my assistant for that. No! What sort of stuff, then? Not anything famous. I was nicely settled in now, leaning on the wall. The traitorous slave's head was swelling so much, he had completely forgotten about turfing me out. Literally swelling, I mean. Like a lime green balloon slowly inflated by a foot pump. Some foliates, the simple sort, changed size and shape to express their mood. Huh. You've probably not heard of any of them. Well, let me see. The highlight last year was Nefertiti's ankle bracelet. That was a sensation. One of Mr. Pin's agents dug it up in, Eng in Egypt and brought it over by a special plane. I was allowed to clean it. Actually clean it! Think of that when next you're flying about in the rain. The Duke of Westminster snapped it up at the auction for a considerable sum. They say... Here he leans closer, dropping his voice. That it was a present for his wife, who is distressingly plain. The ankle confers great glamour and beauty on the wearer, which was how Nefertiti won the pharaoh, of course, but then you wouldn't know anything about that. How wrong can you get? I brought that anklet to Nefertiti in the first place, and I might add that she was a stunner before she put it on. By the way, these modern magicians were mistaken. The anklet doesn't improve a woman's look. It forces her husband to obey her every whim. I half wonder how the poor old duke was getting on. <laughs> yes! I need that. 
I want that too, actually. Right? Nah! What else did we have? The wolf pelt of Romulus? The flute of Chartres? Fryer Bacon's skull? I could go on, but I'd only bore you. All a bit above my head, Governor. Yeah, listen, I'll tell you something I've heard of. The Amulet of Samarkand. My masters mentioned that a few times. Bet you never cling that. But this casual comment had struck some sort of nerve. The foliage's eyes narrowed and his tail gave a quiver. Who is your master then? He said abruptly. And where's your message? I don't see you carrying any. Of course you don't. It's in here, ain't it? I tapped my head with a claw. As for my master, there ain't no secret about that. Simon Lovelace is the name. Perhaps you've seen him about. This was a bit of a gamble, bringing the magician into the equation. But the foliot's manner had changed at the mention of the amulet, and I didn't want to increase his suspicions by evading the question. Fortunately, he seemed impressed. Oh, it's Mr. Lovelace, is it? No. You're a new one for him, aren't you? Where's Needles? He lost a message last night. The master stippled him permanent. Stippled him permanently. Did he? Always thought Needles was too frivolous. Serves him right. This pleasant thought seemed to relax the foliage. A dreamy look came into his eye. Real gent. Mr. Lovelace, Mr. Lovelace is a perfect customer. Always dresses nice, asks for things politely. Good friend of Mr. Pin, of, of course. So, he was on about the amulet, was he? Of course, that's not surprising, considering what happened to it. It's a biz nasty business. They still got, uh, they still not found the murderer. Six months on. Sup, Daffy Duck. Fuck off. <laughs> I'm tired. Fuck off. <laughs> I had to clip that. Get <laughs> <sighs> the Daffy Duck impression there. <sighs> This made me prick up my ears, but I didn't show it. I scratched my nose casually. Yeah, Mr. Lovelace said something bad had happened. Didn't say what, though. Well, he wouldn't speak to a speck like you, would he? Some people reckon it was the Resistance that... Ah. Some people reckon it was the Resistance what did it, whatever that is. Or Renegade Magician. Perhaps most like... Uh, more likely, perhaps... Ah. That's more likely, perhaps. I don't know. You think with all the resources the state's got... So what did happen to the amulet? It got nicked, didn't it? It got stolen, yes. There was a murder involved, too. Grizzly, do you know I me? Mean? It was most upsetting. Poor, poor Mr. Beecham. And so saying, this travesty of a foliot wiped a tear from his eye. That... It, on my end, it's still going. Yeah, he, we don't do it until the end of the paragraph, remember? Yep. Please. You asked me if we'd had the amulet here? Well, of course not. It was too far. Uh, it was far too valuable to be presented on open on the open market. It's been government property for years. And for the last thirty of them, it's been kept under guard at Mr. Beecham's estate in Surrey. High security portals and all. Mr. Beecham used to mention it occasionally to Mr. Pin. 
when he came to see us. He was a fine man, hard, but fair. Very admirable. Ah, me. You should, you could see how far he'd gone over to the enemy by the way he described the death of the magician as murder and was upset. Honestly, it almost makes you long for the simple aggression of Jabber. And somebody stole the amulet from Beecham? Yes, six months ago. Not one portal was triggered. The guards were none the wiser. But late one evening, it was gone. Vanished. And poor Mr. Beecham, laying beside its empty case in a pool of blood, quite dead. He must have been in the room with the, uh, with the amulet at the, at the time the thieves entered. And before he could summon help, they'd cut his throat. What a tragedy. Mr. Pin was most upset. I'm sure he was. That's terrible, Ravna. A most terrible thing. I looked as mournful as an imp can be. But hidden inside, I was crowing with triumph. This was just the tasty bits of information I had been searching for. So, Simon Lovelace had indeed had the amulet stolen. And he'd had murder committed to get it. The black-bearded man that Nathaniel had seen in Lovelace's study must have gone there fresh from killing Breacham. Moreover, whether he was working on his own or as part of some secret group, Lovelace had stolen the amulet from the government itself and was thus engaged in treason. <laughs> well, if this didn't please the kid, I was a Mueller. One thing was for sure. The boy Nathaniel had got himself into deep waters when he'd ordered me to pinch the amulet. Far deeper than he knew. It, it stood to reason that Simon Lovelace would stop at nothing to get the thing back and silence anyone who knew that he'd had it in the first place. But why had he stolen it from Beecham? What made him risk the wrath of the state? I knew the amulet by reputation, but not the exact nature of its power. Perhaps this foliage could help me on the matter. That amulet must be quite something. I said. Useful piece, isn't it? So my master informs me. It's said to contain a most powerful being, something from the deepest areas of the other place, where chaos rules. Protects the wearer against attack by... The foliate's eyes strayed behind me, and he broke off with a sudden gasp. A shadow enveloped him. A broad one that swelled as it extended out across the polished floor. The tinkling bell sounded, and the door of Pin's accoutrements opened, briefly allowing the din of Piccadilly traffic into the shop's comfortable hush. I turned around slowly. Well, well, Shimpkin, Sholto Pin said as he pushed shut the door with an ivory cane. Entertaining a friend while I'm out, are we? While the cat's away? No, master, not at all! The sniveling wretch was touching his forelock and bowing and bowing and retreating as best he could. 
His swollen head was visibly shriveling. What an exhibition. I stayed where I was, cool as a cucumber, leaning against the wall. Not a friend. Sholto's voice was low, rich, and rumbling. It somehow made you think of sunlight shining on an age-blackened wood, of jars and... Mm, of jars of beeswax, polished, and bottles of fine red port. It was a good-humored voice, seemingly always on the cusp of breaking into a throaty chuckle. A smile played on his thin, wide lips, but the eyes above were cold and hard. Close up, he was even larger than I'd expected. A great white wall of a man. With his fur coat on, he might have been mistaken in bad light for a mammoth's backside. Simpkin nope. had edged away. Oh, go Wait. ahead. Sorry. No. Oh well. It's the poet in me, I think. Simpkin had edged away against the front of the counter. No, master. He's a messenger for you. He, he brings a message. You, you staggered me, pit. Oh, sorry. That was that's you. Sorry. Stop stealing my lines. I'm sorry. You stagger me, Simpkin. A messenger with a message. Extraordinary. So why didn't you take the message and send him on his way? I left you with plenty of work to do. You did, Master. You did. He's only just arrived. More extraordinary than ever. With my scrying glass, I have been watching you both chatter away like fishwives for the last ten minutes. What explanation can there be? Perhaps my eyesight is fading at last in my advanced old age. Bartimaeus is just like apparating a bit of a tea cup with some tea and it's just sipping. The magician threw um, the magician drew his monocle out of a waistcoat pocket, screwed it into position over his left eye, and took a couple of steps forward, idly swinging his cane. Simpkin flinched but made no answer. With the aid of their lenses, magicians can see clearly onto the second and third planes, and barely onto the fourth. Blearly. It's like, um, blurry, blurry or distorted or not quite in focus. Mm -hmm. Sholto was no doubt checking me out on these. Fortunately, my fourth, my inform extended to the fourth, so I was safe. Well then. The cane suddenly swung in my direction. Your message, Imp, where is it? I touched my forelock respectfully. I entrusted it to my memory, sir. My master considered it too important to be inscribed on paper. Is that so? The eye behind the monocle looked me up and down. And your master is? Simon Lovelace, sir! I gave a smart salute and stood to attention. And if you'll give me a leave, sir, I shall relay his message now. Then depart, 
I do not wish to take up any more of your time. Quite so. Sholto Pen drew closer and fixed me keenly with both eyes. Your message. Please proceed. Simply this, sir. Dear Sholto, have been, have you invited along to Parliament tonight? I've not... The Prime Minister seems to have forgotten me, and I feel rather... Please respond with advice ASAP. All the best for now. Simon. Word for word, that is, sir. Word for word. This sounded plausible enough to me, but I didn't want to push my luck. I saluted again and set off the door. And set off for the door. Snabla, poor Simon. Hmm. The magician considered a moment. Before you go, what is your name, Imp? Um, Bodman, sir. Bardman, hmm. Sholto Pin rubbed one of his chins with a thick jeweled finger. You're doubtless keen you're doubtless keen to get back to your master, Bodman, but before you go I have two questions. Reluctantly I drew to a halt. Oh get yes, sir. What a polite imp you are to be sure. Well, first, why would Simon not write down such a harmless note? It is hardly studious, and would might well become mangled in memory of a lesser demon such as yourself. I have a very big memory, sir! Renowned for it, I am. Even so, it is out of character. No matter. My other question. And here, Sholto moved a step or two closer and sort of... Uh, loomed. He loomed very effectively. In my current shape, I didn't half feel small. My other question is this. Why did Simon not ask my advice in person 15 minutes ago when I met him for a prearranged lunch? Uh-oh. Time to leave! Whoopsie! That, I believe, was a miscalculation on part of Aeus's part. I made a leap for the exit, but quick as I was, Sholto Pin was quicker. He banged his cane on the floor and tilted it forward. A yellow ray of light shot from the end and collided with the door, sending out globular plasms that froze instantly against anything they touched. I somersaulted over them through a cloud of icy vapor and landed on the top of a display stand chock full of satin undergarments. The staff let out another beam. Before it hit, I was already in midair, leaping over the head of the magician and landing hard on the top of his counter, scattering papers in every direction. Then I spun and fired off a detonation. It collided directly with the magician's back propelling him forward straight into the frozen display stand. He had a protective field around him. I could see it as pretty yellow sparkles when I flipped through the planes. But though there wasn't a, the hole in him I wanted, he was badly winded. He subsided, grasp he subsided gasping into a mess of icy boxer shorts. <laughs> I set off for the nearest window 
intending to bust my way out into the street. I had, unfortunately, forgotten Simpkin. Stepping smartly from behind a rack of cloaks, he swung a giant staff with a tag marked extra large. <clears throat> Shut up. We are mature adults. What is this maturity you speak of? Are, are, are you sure about that? Oh, he swung a giant staff with a tag marked extra large directly at my head. I ducked. The staff smashed into the glass front of the counter. Simpkin drew back to rip the blow. I leaped at him, wrested the staff from his claws, and gave him a clout that reversed the topography of his features. With a grunt, he fell back into a pile of silly hats, and I proceeded on my way. Between two mannequins, I spied a nice open stretch of window, made of clear, curved glass that refracted the incoming sunlight. Gentle rainbow colors. It looks very pretty and expensive. I fired a detonation. I fired a detonation through it, sending a cloud of powdered glass shards blooming out into the streets and dived for the hole. Too late. As the window broke, a trap was triggered. Lovely. The mannequins turned around. Oh shit. They were made that of dog. Not in the book. Right? It's still an oh shit moment. This is all an oh shit moment for him. I have I have a comment about this whole scene when we reach right. the end of the chapter. <laughs> they were made of dark polished wood, and the kind of shop dummy that has no human features, just a slender, smooth oval where the face should be. The barest suggestion of a nose, perhaps, but no mouth, no eyes. They were modeling the latest fashionable wizard gear. His and hers black suits with slim white pinstripes and razor-sharp lapels. Lemon-white shirts with high, well-starched collars, daringly colorful ties. They wore no shoes. From each trouser leg projected only a simple nub of wood. As I leaped between them, their arms shot out to bar the way. From the depths of each sleeve, a sliver, a silver blade extended and clicked into place in their fingerless hands. I was going too fast to stop, but I was still holding the extra large staff. The blade swung toward me in two synchronized arcs. I raised the staff in front of my face just in time. The blade sank deep into it, almost cutting right through and jerking me into a sudden painful halt. For a moment, I felt the cold aura of the silver against my skin. Then I let go of the staff and flung myself back. The mannequins shook their blades. My staff fell to the floor in two halves. They bent their knees and sprang. Silver hurts us badly. It burns our essence with its scarring cold. Which is why Sh Sholto had installed it in his security system. What it did to the djinn imprisoned within the mannequins, I dread to think. I backflipped over the counter. The silver blades hit. The silver blades bit into the parquet of. Let me try that again. 
The silver blades bit into the parquet flooring where I had just stood. I needed to change, and fast. The falcon form would probably do, but I also needed to defend myself. Before I could make up my mind quite how, they were upon me again, whistling through the air, wind ruffling their oversized collars. I dived to one side, crashing into a pile of empty gift boxes. One mannequin landed on the countertop, the other behind it, their smooth beaten, their smooth heads turning toward me. I could feel my energy getting low. <sighs> too many changes, too many spells in too short a time. But I wasn't helpless yet. I cast an inferno on the nearest mannequin, the one creeping along the counter. A burst of blue fire erupted from its crisp white shirt front and began to spread quickly across the fabric. Its tie shriveled, its jacket smoldered. <clears throat> the mannequin ignored this, and it was bound to do so. It raised its blade again. I edged back. The mannequin bent its legs, ready to spring. Fire was licking across the torso. <sighs> now, the varnished timber body was itself ablaze. Okay. The djinn within was forced to obey its instructions, the defense of the shop, no matter what the consequence to itself. This is where I held a slight advantage, since my only current obligation was to save my own skin. The mannequin jumped into the air. The mannequin jumped high into the air and looped down onto me, the flames dancing behind it like an outstretched coat. At the last moment, I jumped aside. It hit the ground heavily. There was a painful crack. The weakened, burning wood had splintered in the impact. The mannequin gave a lopsided stride towards me, its body swaying at a grotesque angle. <laughs> then its legs gave way. It collapsed in a fiery mess of blackening limbs. <laughs> I was about to do the same to its companion, which had hopped over the bonfire and was fast approaching, when a slight sound behind alerted me to the partial recovery of Sholto Pin. I glanced back. Sholto was half sitting up, looking as if he'd been hit by a herd of buffalo. A pair of Y-fronts draped his forehead at a fetching angle, but he was still dangerous. He groped for his staff, found it, stabbed it in my direction. The yellow ray of light shot out once more, but I was already gone from the spot, and the, plasm, and the plasms enveloped the second mannequin in mid-bound, its limbs helplessly frozen. It crashed into the floor, shattering a leg into a dozen pieces. <laughs> what a mess. Sholto cursed, looked around wildly. He really didn't have to look far for little me. I was right above him, balanced on the top of a freestanding set of shelves. The whole stack was filled with meticulously indexed files, that beautifully arranged displays of shields, statua statuary, and antique boxes that had all no doubt been filched from their proper owners across the world. It must have been worth a fortune. I leaned my back against the wall, set my feet firmly on the shelf top, mm, set my feet firmly on the shelf top, and pushed hard. The set of shelves groaned and teetered. 
Sholto heard the sound. He looked up. I saw his eyes widen in horror. <laughs> I gave an extra hard push, putting a bit of venom into it. I was thinking of the helpless djinn trapped inside the ruined mannequins. The shelves hung suspended for an instant. A small Egyptian canopic jar was the first to fall, closely followed by a teak incense, incense chest. Then the center of gravity shifted. It shuddered, and the whole edifice pulled down with wondrous swiftness upon the spiral of the sprawling magician. <laughs> Sholto had time for maybe half a cry before his accoutrements hit him. <laughs> At the sound of the impact, cars on Piccadilly swerved and collided. A cloud of incense and funeral dust boiled up from the strewn remnants of Sholto's fine display. I was satisfied with my performance so far. But it is always best to quit while you are ahead. I eyed the shelving cautiously, but nothing stirred Pickett. Whether his defensive shield had been enough to save him, I couldn't tell. Surely now was free. Surely now I was free to leave. Once more, I made for the hole in the window. Once more. A figure rose to block my way! Simpkin! Lovely! I paused in midair. Please! I said. Don't waste my time! I've already rearranged your face once for you! Rather like the finger of an inside-out glove. His previously protruding nose was still squished back deep into his head. He looked testy. He gave a nasal whisper. You've hurt the master! Yes, and you should be dancing with joy! I sneered. If I was in your place, I'd be going in to finish him off, not, wing not whining on the sidelines like you, you miserable turncoat! It took me weeks to set up that display! I lost patience. You got one second to split, traitor! It's too late, Bodman. I've sounded the alarm. The authorities have sent uh, uh, sent an off. Yeah, yeah. Summoning the last of my remaining energy, I changed into the Falcon. Simpkin didn't expect such a transformation from a humble messenger. And he stumbled back. I shot over his head, depositing a farewell dropping on his scalp. As I did so. And burst out into, um, and burst out at last into the freedom of the air. Finally, upon which a net of silver threads descended, dragging me down against the Piccadilly pavement. God damn it! The threads were a snare of the most resilient kind. They bound me on every plane, adhering to my struggling feathers, my kicking legs, and snapping beak. I fought back with all my strength, but the threads clung to me heavy with earth, the element that is most alien to me, and with the agonizing touch of silver. I could not change. I could not work any magic, great or small. My essence was wounded by the barest contact with the threads. The more I flailed about, the worse it felt. 
After a few seconds, uh, I gave up. I lay there, huddled under an... Un mm. I lay there, huddled under the net. A small, still-feathered mound. One of my eyes peepered... Mm. One of my eyes peeped out under the crook of my wing. I looked beyond the deadly lattice of threads to the gray pavement. Still wet after the last rain and, and and thinly covered with a sprinkling of glass shards. And somewhere or other, I could hear Simpkin laughing, long and shrill. Then the paving slabs grew dark under a descending shadow. Two great cloven hooves landed with a soft clink on the slabs. The concrete bubbled and popped where each hoof touched. A vapor rose around the neck, heavy with the noxious fumes of garlic and rosemary. My mind was poisoned. My head swam. My muscles sagged. Then darkness swathed the falcon as if it were a guttering candle snuffed its intelligence out and thus ends chapter 17 of the amulet of samarkand seems to me like bartimaeus had a bit of a shit show there yeah he it, did it reminded me of like when in Dungeons and Dragons games, you're caught by the city guard, so you're all panicking and trying to escape, and he did not roll well for yep. that con save. At he the yeah. did not. Nope, nope. Sure didn't. <sighs> so, one good moment with the bookshelf, and then everything else was just like, shit, 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 fuck! Everything's on fire, but this is fine. Oh, shit. Okay. So! Demons and imps don't like those of their kind that willingly serve humans without being threatened. Yep. That's a thing. I think it's a pride thing. I mean, very possibly. Uh, pride, pride thing, also probably another thing that could construe to this book pointing out shit in real world problems. Fair. Um, still, yeah. just kind of, kind of a point to note, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm liking the detail he puts into this. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm really liking the detail. Mm -hmm. Reading this chapter, like yeah. you know how with most neurodivergent people, when you're reading a book, uh, it's instead of just reading the words, you're actually seeing a movie play in your head. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This chapter made me realize this isn't just a movie. This is an animated movie. I mean, fair. Absolutely. Especially uh, with the way Jonathan Stroud described how uh, Simpkins features changed and yep. like uh, coalesced with the actions that were done upon it. Speaking of Jonathan... Good Jill B movie. Speaking of Jonathan Stroud, I have a comment to make specifically on the author of this book in a moment. Um... But I do like the way it's described. I can actually like envision this in my head. And even though I'm doing other things here in the background while we're reading and keeping my eye on like everything that's going on with our live stream here on Wednesday morning, um, and making sure the chat's good and all that and like millions of other things, mm -hmm. 
I was actually able to focus on this while I was doing all of that and I could see it in my head. And it was just, the picture that he paints is absolutely brilliant and I love it. <laughs> this is my style of writing. <laughs> what was your other comment about Well, I'm going to see if Lady Punnett has uh, anything to add for comment, uh, for uh, points first. Um, so... Main point, he was doing really, really well until he said who his master was. Yep. Yep. And then it was just, oh, buddy. Oh, buddy. Yeah, I, I scanned down a bit. I saw that comment and I was just like, oh, shit. The other thing, I feel really sorry for the djinns that are trapped inside the mannequins. Cause yep. They're being forced to, like hold on to these silver daggers yep inside for long periods of time yep yep and and, and not just that but you know they don't have free will when it comes to that like like Bartimaeus said his only objective was to save his skin whereas these djinn are literally forced to defend the shop whether or not it kills them mm -hmm. that and for humans die I don't know we don't have enough information yet I wonder if it's like has been hell has been hotel rules where you don't actually die you're just like put Respond. back to where you originally were and it just an endless cycle. I don't know. I've actually there was mention of it in a previous chapter when Bartimaeus uh, intercept um, uh, infiltrated uh, Lovelace's home. Uh, the multiple times that he and I think it was Javor mm. fought multiple times. Like, it's just True. business. Yeah, that was also ages ago for us, though. I can't remember that. Yeah, but um, in uh, one of the earlier chapters when uh, he was infiltrating Lovelace's home, uh, the explanation he gave as to some of uh, the history with um, between him and Jabor and giving into some gin and demonic history, uh, there was mention, if I remember correctly, of what happens when two djinn or two demons are having to fight against each other on orders. If they kill each other out, they just pretty much go back to wherever they came from. Fair. Again, that was ages ago. I can't remember that. That was like several weeks ago for us. Uh -huh. uh, second point I have is, I love how we both chose a Brooklyn accent for that. <laughs> Fuck. Reminds me almost of uh, last week with uh, Lady Punnett and the imp that she was doing. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, so as far as the. Three of us have been Yep. As far as the comment with Jonathan Stroud, one moment. Mm -hmm. Oh, we... did you actually find shit on him? No, but we got a comment on our YouTube. Somebody's been conversing with me back and forth on, uh, back and forth with me on YouTube for the last couple of weeks now. Ooh. Um, let's see, it started. Three weeks ago, they've been leaving comments on videos every so often. The last comment that they left was yesterday. Mm. Uh, so this was, I believe, chapter 14 that released yesterday. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Stroud is a nice guy. I'm sure if you DM him on Twitter or Instagram, he'll reply. I remember when I drew some Bartimaeus fan art and he retweeted and said he loved it. Uh, funny. Uh, hold on a second. Funny that you said Nathaniel will be Slytherin if he were in Hogwarts because of the small Tumblr fandom for the series also agrees. 
Ptolemy was decided to be Ravenclaw, Bartimaeus, depending on the person you ask, would be a Hufflepuff or Gryffindor. I don't know if done on purpose, but sometimes the person reading Nathaniel's line starts a few seconds too early or cuts off the other person reading. I'm not sure if the person, when reading, there is a slight delay that is causing confusion when on the start, or just a style choice. I've noticed it for a few videos now. Anyway, great job. Can't wait for the next chapter. Huh. First off. P.S. The trilogy can be summed up as, Nathaniel, don't do the thing! N Nathaniel does the thing anyways. <laughs> that was from... One moment. Vireo? Please forgive me if I pronounced that wrong. Feel free to correct me when you eventually hear this. But yeah, um, apparently, apparently if we uh, contact Jonathan Stroud on Twitter or Instagram, he's known for replying. So that might be something we want to look into and let him know that, hey, we're going through your book. I'm looking up now. Because, hi! Yes! Send him a link to our first episode. Uh, I might actually just start tagging him in all the episodes as they come out. Do it. Oh, yeah. So, um... Oh, oh author of Young Adult Fiction. Oh, 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 oh. Do we... Can you actually throw his yes, Twitter yep, into yep. the chat? Yes. Do we have any other comments? Um... Go follow Jonathan Stroud on Twitter. Yeah. Besides for following Jonathan Stroud on Twitter. Yes, besides following Jonathan Stroud on Twitter. Any other comments? Concerns, critiques, shut up and get on with it. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Give me a second. Yeah, no worries. I, I, I accidentally minimized and now it's okay. I've lost the page. You're good. So interesting note with these PDFs. You can actually mark and leave notes. Uh, you can like highlight and make comments on them and whatnot. PDFs have become really cool over the last little bit. Um, I do, however, want to know who this cloven foot, this cloven hooved individual is. It gives off the appearance of the devil, but not quite because there's a smell of garlic and rosemary. And they said rosemary is like horrible for for Ginny and for demons. So I want celestial. I want to know who this is. It very well could be. It also I imagine if. Celeste, if demons and jinn cannot handle rosemary, I imagine a lot of celestials or hunters yeah. would have those. Yeah. Absolutely. I love how the story just kind of pulls me in. Right. So, anyways. For those of you that are listening to the podcast, uh, unless anybody else here has any other comments? Not, not really. Does anyone in chat have any comments? Yeah. 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 I don't. Yeah. So. Yeah. Okay. Um. All of the hearts okay. It's Jay. Yep. Yay. All right. So, since nobody else is piping up in chat, unless people are typing, I'm going to give a couple of minutes here while I just kind of get on with my spiel. Mm -hmm. We want to thank you guys for joining us for episode 33 of the Amulet, uh, sorry, of the Idiot Book Nook podcast, chapter 17 of the Amulet of Samarkand. Um, the third or the first book in the Bartimaeus trilogy. Mm -hmm. We hope you have enjoyed this. Um, we look forward to your feedback. Any any comments, concerns, critiques that you've got, like go for it. Yes, I know I have a habit of speaking just a little too early. It is a thing with ADHD. It happens with all of us. 
we've come to accept it. It doesn't really bother us. We'll just, you'll notice we'll stop and then we'll start when we have a moment. We try not to be interrupting cows. Sorry, what? We try not to be interrupting cows. Moo. Moo. <laughs> With that being said, we hope to see you guys for episode th 34, if you're listening to the podcast, which will be coming up here shortly. If you are watching live on the Twitch stream, we're going to be taking a break, a uh, 15-minute break here. But before we get that, uh, before we go to break, if you would like to follow us on social media, you are more than welcome to do so at our brand new Linktree link, L-A-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Idiot Book Nook. You can get to all of our socials. You can get to Lady Punnett's links. You can get to the Reading Dragons links. You can get to my links. You can find all of our podcast streams on there on all of the sites that we are hosted on, which will be continually updated every time we're added to a new platform. And you can find our website. Don't forget to check out Anchor if you would like to leave us a voice message or you would like to find our primary podcast uploading feed. But guys, for the Idiot Book Nook for episode 33 and chapter 17 of The Amulet of Samarkand, Mm, I'm Blazewing. I'm the Reading Dragon. I'm Lady Punnett. And we'll see you in episode 34. We're getting pretty close to episode 50. Mm -hmm. We'll see you guys in episode... Okay. We'll see you guys shortly in episode 34. Yes. Peace out. <laughs>